You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, All right, class, let's bring it back in here. If you can hear me, clap once. If you can hear me, clap twice. Nice. Uh, I'm actually a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher, so be ready for some middle school stuff. Um, Yeah, actually, like I said, Angelica, my wife, asked me that question this morning. We've been thinking of an intentional question, and she asked me that this morning, and I was like, man, that's a good question. And um, I think Amazon, I didn't run this by her, so give me the signal if I need to cut it off, but Amazon, in a lot of ways, is like the modern man's prayer. If you're like me, you're wandering around the house, and you're like, I need that. So I shoot out a quick prayer to Jeff Bezos on my cell phone, (laughs) and he answers it within two days. Sometimes he answers within one day, which is pretty wild, a little scary. But uh, a lot of times, we just shoot out a quick Amazon order and Amazon Prime. If you're a member, though, you have to be a member of Prime for Jeff Bezos to answer your prayers. But I think a lot of times we kind of think about prayer as transactional and like Timothy taught us last week. I don't know where he is anymore. But Timothy taught us that prayer is relationship with our Father. So I'm going to add on to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, uh, The next section there, we'll get to that in just a minute. But since I'm teaching on prayer, let me pray for us. Please pray for me as I teach. Lord, we do praise you this morning. Thank you for the time uh, just to worship, to turn our hearts to you. I pray that you would continue to help us to worship as we learn. Lord, we pray um, as, we, as we learn, as we talk this morning, that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray that your will would be done here and now in our hearts, in our church, in our city, across the world, that your will would be done here as it is in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I'm teaching from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Today, I'm going to be focusing on the section um, about the kingdom. So praying that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that theme of the kingdom of God is a really big theme. Oliver's talked about this before, an idea like the ocean. So the ocean is big enough, it covers the world that you can sink a ship or lose an airplane and never see it again, or it's approachable enough like a kid playing at the seashore can spend a great day splashing around the surf. So I want us to give... um, or want us to have some handles on this idea of the kingdom of God, what that actually is, and then we're going to talk about how to pray for that. So the first 45 to 50 minutes will be pretty theoretical, and then the next hour will be (laughs) more practical. (laughs) Um, the, The kingdom of God, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. His disciples talk about the kingdom of God. This is an example of that, Matthew 4, 17. From that time... Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God? Slack's nice. Good work back there. Um, The kingdom of God is God's rule and dominion. So it was established at creation. We see in Genesis 1 where God created all things. The kingdom of God was broken by the fall, When mankind sinned, we broke the kingdom of heaven that was here on earth because we separated ourselves from Jesus. That kingdom was reestablished by Jesus when he came and lived as a man, lived a perfect life, 
died on the cross, rose from the dead. That kingdom was reestablished with Jesus. And the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is being furthered throughout the earth by us, his church. So with the relationship with Jesus, you're filled with the Spirit, and you take up that work of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is wherever all things are subject to God's will, where they're in submission. In that person, group, or place, heaven's culture and values are preeminent. They reign. So Jesus teaches us to pray within the setting of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. And within the middle of that is this section that we just read where Jesus teaches us to pray. As we pray for the kingdom of God, we pray for those values and that culture to come to earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' sermon was a complete revelation as he taught that, the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of it, Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And the sermon really has been astonishing us for the last 2,000 plus years. The, the values and the culture of the kingdom of God are the subject matter of the Sermon on the Mount. So humans, humankind throughout history, throughout the world, really agree on a lot of these things, that these are good things that we should work towards. Think about, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts off talking about uh, the blesseds. If you guys remember those, the poor in spirit, the merciful, the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the patient in persecution. Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, not to make a new law or to break the law. He came to fulfill the law. And he compares and contrasts the law with what he is teaching by saying, you have heard it said, that sounds familiar to you, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I, Jesus, say to you, don't be angry. Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, do not lust. You have heard it said, do not swear falsely. I say to you, live a life of integrity. So Jesus is adding and fulfilling the law in this teaching. He goes on to say, uh, give to the needy. Don't be anxious. Don't judge. Treat others how you would want to be treated. Really radical ideas that have come really familiar to us now. They don't kind of have that same ring that the original hearers would have, just would have blown their minds. But as we think about this, I would love if we could think about it with fresh, a fresh mindset. And think about the way that Jesus' teaching spread so radically within the first century, first couple of centuries. Like the church of Jesus Christ spread throughout the entire world a lot of ways because of this teaching. Uh, this is a quote from uh, Mahatma Gandhi. If you guys have heard of him. Uh, so he says, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ, as found in the Bible, all of India today would be Christian. And I think that we can extrapolate that, take that further than just India. We could say that about the ends of the earth. So if we as Christians were to follow Jesus' teachings, live the life that he describes in the Sermon on the Mount, the gospel of Christianity would go forth to the ends of the earth. Universally, I would say that humans agree on a lot of these teachings. We can all agree that peacemakers and um, the poor in spirit and the meek and the humble, those are nice people to be around. 
So why, if we all agree on these things, do we not act like that? Great teaching alone does not bring about the kingdom of God. So you can have a great idea, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to change someone's mind. The problem with our world is that uh, there's sin. We live in a broken world. So fixing the problem isn't just a mental acknowledgement that Jesus' logic is superior to earthly logic. The problem is that humans are dead in sin without Jesus giving us life and belonging in the kingdom. The Spirit in his power must open our eyes to see the kingdom of God invades earth because the earth is hostile. It is against God's kingdom. The earth is under the dominion of Satan apart from Jesus' intervention. Our work now is to live as ambassadors of the king, and our job is to follow Jesus in furthering his kingdom. Let's look at an example in Scripture. Um, before, I read, before I read Scripture, if you would, listen, um, just like the people who are sitting on the mountain listening to Jesus. Think about this in, in the setting, at the time. Hear Jesus' words. Hear his actions. Think and feel what that would have been like. Like this is a story that you are witnessing for the first time. So feel it with me here. Mark 9, 20 through 29. They brought the boy to him, to Jesus. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I think this is a great story for explaining the coming of the kingdom because it gives us a couple of categories, two categories, uh, in which we can place ourselves into this story. Think about, for a second, um, the brokenness that we see in the world around us. Think um, about the effects of sin in your life or in your community or, or internationally as we look at the news. I can think in my, my own heart about sin or things, places in my life where I'm not following the teaching that Jesus gave us or letting the Spirit work to make me more like himself. I think of anger, like thinking about justice, like if somebody cuts me off, I'm not going to be like, come on over, let me turn the other cheek, sadly. <laughs> and I think about, um, in, in my community, I think about my neighbors and injustice that's going on. I think about sickness and death, that if you have not experienced yourself, someone in your community or close to you, I'm sure, has. Um, 
I listened to the news the other day, which I try to avoid, but every time I turn it on, it's like um, women and children are getting killed in Ukraine, just living their lives. Like, it's not, a, it's not a war. They're not soldiers killing each other on the battlefield. People are being killed in their homes. And that's not, uh, I would say that's not the abnormality of our life here that we see on the earth. And that's, that's heavy. I know that's heavy. But as we think about brokenness, there are broken, sad things that happen in our world that are, that are bad things. So what does it mean for us to work towards the kingdom here and to pray towards the kingdom of heaven coming to earth? I think the story gives us a couple categories to think about, and I think about the father in this story, and his words resonate so deeply with me. As I see brokenness in my own life, I think about sickness or, or anything that is wrong, that is against God's kingdom, and so often I feel like if I'm praying towards that or trying to fix or trying to help and nothing's happening, I pray this prayer. I believe, Jesus, I believe the words that you said, but help my unbelief because I see a disconnect. I feel maybe hopeless or helpless in that situation. I think sometimes when we encounter brokenness in the world, we can also be the disciples. We are filled with the Spirit. We're walking out. We're advancing the kingdom, and we're trying to do the work, and Maybe it feels like God's not answering our prayers or we're not being effective in ministry or people aren't hearing the gospel and responding and believing and we think, what's going on? Like, am I doing something wrong? Am I not saying the right words? And it's like, is this whole thing just powerless? We feel powerless or confused. The good news in both of these situations, whichever category you find yourself in, that Jesus is always Jesus and his character remains the same. And just like Jesus response to this father, it almost sounds a little bit sarcastic because Jesus knows who he is. Maybe the father hadn't fully realized this, but Jesus says, if you can, I'm God, and I can, and I will. Jesus hears our prayers. He's attentive to our call, and he is so capable to bring the kingdom in our lives, in our hearts, in us, and through us. Bless you. Uh, these are examples in the story of physical, emotional, relational, uh, maybe communal brokenness in this story. These are all symptoms, though, of a deeper issue. These are examples of spiritual brokenness that has fruit, bad fruit, the fruit of sin and death. The coming of the kingdom is not a hostile takeover. It's a holistic takeover. The kingdom is about so much more than just fixing temporary earthly wrongs, doing spiritual battle with the forces that are at work in our lives. It's not just seeing a miracle or seeing a healing or seeing God work in a temporary earthly way to bring his kingdom. It's about miracle-working power, but eternal life-giving truth. And those things walk together as we work towards, pray towards, and see the kingdom come here in Greenville, across our nation, and throughout the world. Uh, if you guys remember, my wife and I, Angelica, shared a story. We, we did the missionary spotlight up here, not quite as well as you guys did, but we talked about our neighbor, uh, Ronnie. And Ronnie, really miraculously, the Lord spoke to him, brought him to a prayer group, um, like convicted him of his sin. He was an alcoholic, wandering around. I'd be leaving for work and see him walk into his house with a couple of 40s that he's just bought at like 6 in the morning. And he, he lived like that for a long time. We prayed for him shared with him. He was very resistant to that. And one morning at 6 a.m., which it's really a miracle when anybody comes to prayer at 6 a.m., but especially for Ronnie, 
he had been, I guess, convicted of his lifestyle, and God, he told God, if you want me to change, I need you to help me. Wake me up and get me to this thing, and we'll see, see what happens. So he comes wandering in at 6 a.m., and we're like, what is going on here? And the Lord convicted him, and he, um, after that prayer meeting, we talked with him, and he um, like was convicted of his lifestyle, checked into rehab, a drug and alcohol rehab facility, and that day had multiple strokes within the rehab facility. <laughs> um, yeah, and the Lord saved his life then. And, sorry, sweating out of my eyeballs a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah, God, God saved his life, and we saw the Spirit move on his behalf. And since then, Ronnie has actually passed away. So it's been months now, and Ronnie has passed away. But the good news is that the, sorry, the coming of the kingdom is not just a one-time thing or a physical thing. The good news is that we were able to share with Ronnie the truth of the gospel. And it's not a temporary earthly, one-time fix to get you out of a jam. The kingdom is coming here and now, but it's an eternal truth. And Ronnie, I hope, I pray that Ronnie is in heaven and doesn't, um, yeah, doesn't, doesn't have those issues anymore. doesn't have the, the temporary fruit of a brokenness, a sinful brokenness. Um, yeah, so listen, listen to the way that Jesus describes the kingdom. I should have warned you guys I, I cry as well. So, sorry. Uh, Matthew 11, 4 through 6. Jesus answered them. People are asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Jesus answers them. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Two parts. Hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the dead hear. I'm sorry, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and they hear as well. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is Jesus speaking. He's describing the work of the kingdom, and it's two parts. There are supernatural acts of the Spirit at work in our world, but the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, and because of sin, because of brokenness, because of eternal issues that we have, Jesus took on flesh, came to the earth, lived a perfect life, the life that God demands in the law. However, Jesus was killed on the cross to pay for the price of sin, not his sin, our sin. Because he lived a perfect life, he fulfilled the law. Because he was crucified, he fulfilled the penalty for sin, and now we as sinful human beings, can place our faith in Jesus, and in him, we come before the Father, like Timothy talked about last week. We come as his children. We come with boldness and expectancy for the kingdom to be at work because of God as our Father. And he made a way for us to be safe from our sins and to live in relationship with him. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel... As we're saved and God gives us a new identity in him, we are ministers of reconciliation. So we bring the gospel truth, 
and the Spirit's work to further the kingdom to our communities, to our county, city, and the world. And reconciliation is submission, submission to the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Active surrender of our will to his will. As Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, not our will. And that's a constant battle. I know for myself, maybe for some of you as well, a lot of times I don't wake up thinking, what, do, what does God want to do? That's the most important thing to me right now. I think about 10 things, at least, that's my will, before I think about God's will. So that's part of the prayer is that God's kingdom would come to our hearts first, us. I have a drawing up here um, that my daughter did, not me. I'm just kidding, I drew that. Um, <laughs> I actually emailed it to the slides, and uh, I made a joke, and it was my daughter, and he was like, your daughter did this. I was like, whoops. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my handwriting. Thankfully, there's typing nowadays, or people would, uh, yeah, laugh at me. But think about your life here. Um, you can do this a lot of different ways. I've heard it described as an oikos map, or like a family map, your relational capacity, the people who you're close to, you have relationship with, who are maybe far from God or far from the kingdom. And I put me in the center there because... I so often need the kingdom to come to my heart. I'm sinful. I wake up, and the kingdom does not look like what's inside my heart. My heart does not look like the kingdom. So as we think about our relationship with the Lord, he changes us. He gives us a new identity. That's the inner part of that circle. And our uh, responsibilities and our influence grow as the Spirit is at work within us. So as the Lord makes us new and brings the kingdom to our hearts, he brings the kingdom through us, to our family, to our friends, and to Vietnam, to the nations. As the Lord changes your hearts and guides you and leads you, your heart will break for other people who maybe aren't like you, who are further and further out as the Lord grows you. Um, I, used to, I used to play volleyball before I had three kids. That was my sport. I liked to play volleyball. Beach volleyball was my main sport. Really enjoyed that. It was uh, 2v2. You play on the beach, and you are responsible. Your responsibility is to cover the entire court. Your partner's blocking at the net, and you were just running around frantically trying to play defense. Uh, when I, I studied abroad in Argentina, and I got the chance to play for a team there, an indoor volleyball team, and an indoor, it's 6v6. So you have three times as many people. I'm a Spanish teacher, not a math teacher, but six people in indoor, two people in outdoor, and your responsibilities shift. And as I moved from playing beach volleyball to indoor volleyball, I was a terrible teammate because I thought it was all up to me. Everybody's speaking Spanish as well, so that didn't help. So I'm just bumping into people, cutting in front of them, trying to play defense. And eventually, it took recognizing that I had to trust my coach there, that he had placed me specifically in my zone, my six-foot-by-six-foot six zone, to play defense here. That was my responsibility. I had to trust him that he knew what was best for my giftings and my abilities and my um, specific spot right there on the, beat, on the bench. Just I got a little playing time. But also for my teammates, that they were better at this, or they were going to be more useful to the team and to the mission here in this specific part of the floor. And we were trained for that. We practiced every day for that. And the Lord gave a specific calling for the, I'm sorry, my coach, <laughs> gave a specific calling for our specific abilities. And the Lord does the same thing in our lives. So much like uh, my coach there put me and my teammates in a specific area, the Lord has specifically placed you in your areas. Whether that is 
who you live with, your roommates, whether that's who you work with, your neighbor across the street, your spouse, God has specifically equipped you and sent you. I love what you guys are doing here in Greenville. You don't have to leave the country to be a missionary because God has called you and equipped you and placed you specifically where you are around specifically who he has placed you around to bring the work of the kingdom here and now in you and through you. I love this verse, Psalm 127.1. 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And God, thankfully, takes a lot of pressure off, will call you to a zone because he's working there. And he's given you the calling because he is, his spirit is moving ahead of you to prepare the work that he has for you. Uh, I used to be a landscaper, and I never prayed so much in my life. Because as I was, if you guys have been outside in the fall, all the leaves fall off, and it's your job as a landscaper to blow the leaves. And you get out there, start blowing the leaves, and if the wind is blowing in the wrong direction, you can just pack up and leave. Because you're not going to do it. But I would just pray so hard that God would blow the wind where I needed it to go, and I could just sit and watch. Because every once in a while, the wind would blow in the correct direction, and it was just like you had a superpower. All the leaves were going in the right direction. And it's the same way. If you, you can work so hard. You can be very talented. You can have great relationships, be very, very well-spoken. But if the Lord is not working, you will not accomplish anything, especially of eternal value. And prayer is not only power. Prayer is the power of God to work in you and through you. Prayer is the process by which our hearts are tuned to where he's at work. So prayer is God working, but it's also changing our will to his will, recognizing who he's placed in your life, what he's gifted you to do, and where he's called you. Those were fun examples. Uh, the question that I think all of us have on our hearts when it comes to prayer is why God doesn't answer prayer. And if you've never had a prayer that God has not answered, you're not praying enough. Like there are times where we pray, and that could be for like nice weather on Friday when you have the day off. And if, that, if God doesn't answer that prayer, you're like, oh, whatever. But there are prayers that we, that we pray that would seem to be good things. And when God doesn't answer those, we kind of hold them up against his word and we say, you've made really big promises. We look at Jesus' words even later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek and you will find, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be open. What kind of father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If he asks for bread, will give him a rock. And God is our good father. So when we pray and things don't happen, what's going on? I think about a story. I um, was working with some guys. I was doing construction, and one of the contractors we worked really closely with, his son, was uh, diagnosed with cancer, aggressive form of cancer. And we prayed really hard for him, prayed, and he was like going through the treatment and all that kind of stuff, and he died suddenly before the schedule, before people had planned on. And I remember finding out about that, and going to my room, 
turning off the light, laying on my bed and just crying. Um, for the boy who died, he was like three or four, were those parents who lost their son, but I also cried because I felt like God had abandoned me and that he didn't hear my prayer. Um, sorry. Yeah, I hope that you guys can relate to that. Um, I think that if you have not experienced that loss at some point in your life, you will. And in that moment, if things are going really well for you right now, that's great. I hope that they continue to. But at a certain point, we live in a broken world, and you will encounter brokenness. And whether it's really far away and unrelated to you, or whether it's near and close to your heart, at some point, you will ask yourself that question, why have you forsaken me? I think there are a couple responses to this. Why do we pray if God's not going to answer our prayers? Uh, this is basically based on what Timothy was talking about. I just copy and paste it from him. So, Matthew 6, 6 through 8, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you when you pray. Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Do not babble, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The kingdom must come to our own heart first. Our will must be turned to God's will for just these occasions. And as Jesus taught and loved to spend time, if you read the Gospels, it seemed like every other day he was sneaking off to pray like all through the night or really early in the morning, getting that relational intimacy with his Father. And in verse 6, it says that God sees as we pray in secret and will reward you. That does not mean that he will answer all of your prayers exactly how you ask them. God rewards our prayer um, with intimacy with him. God is blessing and growing our relationship with him and our reliance on him. Sometimes that's more important to God. Through prayer, God changes our hearts to desire his will above our will and his kingdom before our kingdom. So prayer is power, like we've been talking about, but it's also a process. To see God at work, to do things, but also to change and to make our character and our likeness more like Jesus. God is our Father, like Timothy talked about last week. He loves, hears, and answers our prayer. Um, as a dad, I'm a father of three. I have a couple examples from my kids. I feel bad for you, Russ. I feel like if your dad's a pastor, you're just going to hear it. So thankfully, did Meridian leave? Uh, they, um, yeah, so I'm going to talk about my kids, which is, I feel like, classic, classic preacher move. So my daughter is three, and she, it's summertime. My wife and I are teachers, so we just kind of hang out at the house or at the park. And she has gotten in a habit of eating popsicles. She loves popsicles. And she's not scared to ask for a popsicle. So she will wake up and ask for a popsicle, or five minutes later, she'll ask for a popsicle. She wants a popsicle at any time of the day. And as her loving father, I'm like, Meridian, you should at least eat breakfast before you have a popsicle. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe today you had, you had cake at that birthday party, so we're not going to eat a popsicle today. It's for your health. It's for your good. I'm your dad. I know what's best. Listen to me. As far as popsicles are concerned, I know what's best. Uh, in Meridian, she's... She likes me. She's grown to trust me a little bit as she's 
grown up. So she's like, okay, sounds good. I trust you. I trust that we'll have a popsicle sometime in the future. My son, on the other hand, Jude. Uh, Jude is one and a half and is still learning how to speak. But he's figured out how to kind of bargain with you where he'll come up and make some noise and you kind of guess what he wants until he opens his eyes really wide and nods his head and you're like, bingo. So uh, I, was, I was cutting up some vegetables. I had a big knife in my hand and he comes up to me at the counter and starts doing this little bargaining thing. And I'm like, oh, buddy, you want a carrot? He's like, no. He can say that. He can say no very well. Uh, okay, uh, zucchini. No. I'm like, you want this knife? And he's like, so I was like, son, I would not trust you with a butter knife, let alone this cleaver. And Jude's response, um, I don't know if it's just his personality or he doesn't trust me yet, but his response to unanswered requests from his father is to, I won't demonstrate this, but he will roll back on the ground and just bang every one of his limbs and his head on the ground for a second. He gets over it, but he's very upset when he doesn't get what he wants. And... Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a flawed father. I'm not, I'm not God or anywhere close to God as our father. But I think those are good illustrations as we pray, like Timothy taught us last week. We're kids. We're kids. And a lot of times I'm closer to a one-and-a-half-year-old than I am to a mature adult, especially in my faith and the way that I pray. And I think that those illustrate two different responses that we can have to unanswered prayer. Trust and acceptance. God, Father, I know you're good. I know you want what's best for me and that you're working all things for my good and for your glory. So, yes, okay, I trust you. The other response is anger, <laughs> frustration, and uh, rejection. There's a moment there where I'm like, Jude, come on back, buddy. You're really, you're taking this hard. And as, a, as the Father, I, I want him to understand and to still be in relationship with me. He wants nothing to do with me in that moment because he wants that knife or whatever it is. The, the ultimate answer, at least that I found, you may find better answers to this. The ultimate answer to unanswered prayer is Jesus. As you guys know, Jesus, God's son, in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed that this, pass, that this cup would pass from me. He asked the Father that he would not have to be crucified. He was about to be tortured and killed, and he did not want to go through that, understandably. God did not answer that prayer. Jesus was crucified. This is Mark 15, 29 through 34. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, that was a claim Jesus made, they're mocking him with it, save yourself. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elohim, Elohim, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the question that I think we all ask when that prayer is unanswered. When we pray for something that's good, when we pray for um, <coughs> healing, like that little boy 
who passed away. We pray for our sibling or our uh, relative or something that you would think is a good thing that God should not have any problem with answering. When God does not answer that question, at least for me, this is the question that a lot of times rises to my mouth. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus asks that question because he was forsaken on the cross. God forsook Jesus to die for our sins. In order, like I explained earlier with the gospel, God forsook Jesus so that he does not forsake us. When we place our faith in Jesus for salvation, when we come to God, we come to him as his children, and we come to him boldly. Because God has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us if we're in Christ, and that that question is asked of God by his children for the last time on the cross by Jesus. Because Jesus purchases our relationship with God to where our emotions, our doubt, our rejection, no longer lines up with reality, the reality of the kingdom, the reality of who God is. Trust, trust God. Well, that's hard in those moments. It takes time, and it takes um, praying your emotions. Don't hide your emotions from God. Pray that emotion. Jesus prayed Psalm 22 in that moment. He cries out to God. That's a quote from Psalm 22, which is a psalm about God forsaking his people, which he didn't, and he doesn't, and he won't. But Jesus, in that moment, prayed an emotional prayer that we can all relate to in different ways in our lives. Let's, let's get practical. How do we actually pray for the kingdom to come? I like the language um, that Oliver uses here, family, friends, and, I'm sorry, family, neighbors, and nations. Hopefully your neighbors are your friends as well. But family, those who are very close to you, and then as the circles progress, we pray as the kingdom moves, as the kingdom expands in us and through us. So I like those, um, those handles there. And what you could do, you don't have to do this now because I'm sure I'm way over time. I actually don't know when I'm supposed to end. When am I supposed to end? Whenever? Okay. So what you could do, do this at home. A little homework for you guys. I know it's the summer, but bear with me. Uh, write those out. Uh, if you can pull up that. Wow. Great work. Great work. Uh, yeah, so in this circle, make it bigger, give yourself some room to write. Actually write down, like for me, what I would pray for is a way that I want to see the Lord work within me. Like if I'm consistently uh, just mad at Meridian for asking about popsicles, I'm going to pray that God gives me patience and gives me humility in that. That could be a different example. But praying for me, I'm writing this down. For me, I want to see patience, meekness, humility. For my family, I want to pray for... Uh, my three kids. I want to pray for my wife. Things like that, whatever that would look like in your life. But writing down specific things that you want to see the Lord do, who you want to see impacted, and where you want to see the kingdom advance in your own life. And for me, I have a short memory, and my faithlessness a lot of times uh, hides God's faithfulness to me. I pray for something, and on Monday, I'm like broken up about it. It's tearing up my life. I pray for it. I'm in tears, and then Friday rolls around, I'm just like, zippity-doo-dah, like forgot that 
God came through and saved me in that moment. And when I write it down, actually, to prep for this, Oliver asked me to do this like a month ago, and so many sleepless nights since then. But I look back from my prayer journal, and this is like six or seven years of God's faithfulness over the years. And to look, even see like so many of my family and friends here, like it, it really is encouraging to look back and see the way that God has moved. And a lot of times I just forget that God moves and the answer is prayer if I don't write it down. Make a prayer journal. Write it down. Um, I like to practically, as I pray, ask the Lord. His disciples ask him to teach them to pray. I pray that consistently to the Lord. Lord, teach me to pray. Spirit, help me to pray. Give me the words. Help me to pray. As I come to you right now, help me to pray. Because I need help praying. And Jesus is faithful to answer that question. Even as he taught us in Scripture, he's continuing to work in us to teach us to pray. As we do those things, writing down, praying consistently, intentional, consistent prayer leads to action. You know, it's hard for me if I'm consistently praying for, um, like, Ronnie, for example. If I'm praying for Ronnie every day and I pass him by on the street, it's a lot harder for me to be like, hey, Ronnie, and just keep driving than to be like, I'm praying about it. I should probably talk to him or see what the Lord's doing in his life and check in. And it changes my will. He's like, oh, I got to get to work. I don't have time for this. Prayer changes my will to God's will. It's like, hey, Ronnie needs a ride. Pick him up. Or whatever that looks like in your life. But intentional, consistent prayer will change your will to God's will as we work towards the kingdom. Uh, if you think about prayer as your grandma kneeling down at her bed, um, as just that, let me encourage you to practically, the way that you think about prayer, what prayer is, will change the way, change the way how you pray. I think prayer is warfare. As we see in Scripture, prayer is a battle. And a lot of times, if I, like, I'm feeling like my prayer life is weak or I just don't even want to pray. A lot of times I feel like I'm like, I don't even want to pray. Ask the Lord to help you because you're in a battle. Satan does not want you to pray because prayer is you engaging in the work of the kingdom with Jesus by the Spirit further the gospel, to bring the kingdom here on earth. And the Satan does not want you to do that. So if you feel like you don't want to do that, ask God to help you to do that. And he will. He'll move in you to do that. I have a couple intentional questions for us here. Um, I really like the intentional questions. Those are good. I think, um, yeah, as, as I eat lunch or dinner or go to small group, whatever it is, it really helps me to be able to take something away and ask this question. So the first one I have up there is, whose kingdom do I spend my time building? And like I talked about with the Amazon Prime, um, it's a good, it's a good uh, record for me. Uh, we got home yesterday, and my daughter was like, another day, another box on the porch. Because <laughs> uh, I'm doing some work on my house. I've been doing a renovation on our house. And I just like, I'm constantly ordering something on Amazon. I used to run to Lowe's every day. Now I just order it on Amazon and it shows up. But it's a good reminder of every day, like literally I'm building my castle, my kingdom. And am I spending my time working on God's kingdom in that same way? Whose kingdom do I spend my time building? In what ways do I live my life like Jesus is the king? Your king, your allegiance, whom you believe is the Lord of your life will change the way that you live every day. 
who can I pray with? Whether that's a roommate, spouse, friend, family member, as we pray together, I think it reminds us of the faithfulness of God. So we, we pray, uh, like Oliver said, we pray on Wednesday mornings at our house at 6 a.m. If anybody wants to come, let me know. Um, RSVP, we could probably do about 75 or 80 people. <laughs> Just kidding. We do have breakfast afterwards, though. So, um, Yeah, as we pray together, as we pray in community, we see the faithfulness of God. We're reminded of it every week. Because if I pray for Greg and he shows up next week, I'm like, Greg, how'd that thing go? He's like, God answered prayer. This thing is like that now. And it encourages my faith, and we see God move in community by praying with people. Who am I praying for? Write people down, write down names, and pray um, as we pray for ourselves, as we pray for our family, as we pray for our neighbors, and as we pray for the nations. If you write that down and pray consistently, you will see the Lord move. The kingdom is coming. Um, in, in closing, that is my encouragement to you. You guys can come up if you want to. Play something sweet back there, make me sound good. Um, yeah, in, in closing, I think we talk about the work of the kingdom, building the kingdom, doing this, doing that. A lot of times it's like, are you doing enough? Are you praying? Are you writing these names down? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Are you doing this? And it turns into a checklist of am I building the kingdom? And my encouragement to you and to myself is do not do the work of the kingdom and forget the king. Don't work like it's all up to you or work like you have to earn your spot in the kingdom. We work because of what Jesus has already done for us and in us and what he will do through us. So our kingdom building is in prayer, seeking the Lord first. And as we seek the Lord, like it says in John 34, I think, as we seek the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. He changes the desires of our heart to desire the things of the kingdom. And as it says in John 6, 29, people are wondering what they're supposed to do. Jesus says to them, this is the work of God. This is the work that you believe in him whom he sent. And as you believe in Jesus, as I believe in Jesus and seek him and abide in him, my identity, who I am, shapes my actions. And whether your identity is a doctor or a teacher or construction worker or a lawyer, whatever it is that you do on a daily basis, God has specifically placed you in that space, surrounded by the people who you work with, for the work of the kingdom. That's not intimidating. That's not scary because God goes before you, prepares the way through his spirit. He's leading you to be the hands and feet of Jesus here in Greenville to your neighbors, to family and the nations ultimately. So I love what you guys are doing, Fletchers, um, as you guys have grown and know you super well, but just hearing your heart for the nations through these trips that you're doing, I think that that's a great example of how God changes our will to his will and desiring to see the kingdom come, whether that's Vietnam, whether that's CEF and seeing the gospel come to schools. God is at work in you and through you, even when you don't realize it, even when you feel like you're not good enough. Jesus is at work and his kingdom is coming and victory is guaranteed to the church because it's God's kingdom. Thanks again for joining us. 
if you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.